I love our church family. When I come here, I feel at home. You know, every year in January, the uh, the government, several different agencies get together and go through all the towns and cities and and byways and and they count the number of people who are living without a home, the number of homeless people. And in January last year, January of 2015, they counted 564,708 people living without a home. Of those people, 83,000 were what were considered chronically homeless. That is, they continued, they continuously lived without a home. Now that that number, quite honestly, is shocking to me. I can It's hard to imagine going a night without a roof over my head. And I'm thankful that I have lived in the life that I have lived, I have not had to, other than maybe going out camping and then I have a tent or something to stay in. I've not had to spend that many nights without a roof over my head. But even that number, half a million people in the United States, pales in comparison to what we see going taking place over in Europe right now over the past couple of years. By the end of last year, 7.6 million people just in the country of Syria were internally displaced and another 4.6 million people became refugees abroad. That's t- over 12 million people, roughly half the population of the whole country of Syria being displaced because of the civil war. What does it mean for you and me to have a home? Have you ever thought about, you know, so often we take this for granted and uh, of, of, those, of those of you that I know, and I think I know almost every one of you here, in one way or another, you have a home. You have some place to call a home. But I do know people who don't. So often when I go to visit my parents over this last year, um, my mom and dad have told me stories about this one gentleman. He's a student at the community college where they both work. He lives in his van. He doesn't have a home. All of his earthly possessions he keeps in his van. His van is so full that the only place he has to sleep is sitting in the driver's seat. In the daytime, he'll go to the library. Of course, he's, he's going to class. He's taking classes. When he's not in class, he's in the library or he's in the cafeteria, just hanging out. When night comes, they lock the doors and he goes out to his van. Many times he's been stopped, arrested, even thrown in jail for trespassing. That is, parking his van somewhere where he wasn't allowed to park overnight. You know, Thomas isn't alone. Thomas is the name of of the gentleman. Thomas is not alone. Many, many people live in very similar ways. Thomas suffers from a number of health problems, many of which are directly related to his homelessness. He suffers from back pain. He suffers from from different complications, from not getting enough sleep, largely because he's sleeping in an upright position in his car seat. You know, home is not necessarily just a location, but, 
But a home is in a location. Having a home means having neighbors, whether that's good or bad. A home is not a friendship, but a home is a wonderful place to bring friends to, isn't it? In fact, a home is not necessarily just a house. A home is more of what fills a house with love. When I think of home, I think of Christina and I and our marriage. Over the last seven years, seven years ago, I should say, Christina and I said, I do. We committed not just to living together, that's cohabitation, right? We committed to a relationship, for better or for worse. And whether we have that relationship in a house, or in a tent, or in a car, or over the phone, we still have the joy of having that home. You see, it's not four walls and a roof that make a home. A home isn't just a warm sofa or a 60-inch TV or an Xbox or an iPad or a king-size bed. All these things might be nice. Some of these things are very important. It's important to me in the climate that we live in to have a place that's warm and dry. But you can have a home without these things. But to me, the most important part about a home is a kind of a safety, if you know what I mean. Not just physical safety, not just physical protection, although that's a big part of it. Protection from the elements, but also emotional and spiritual safety as well. A home is a place where, even though the winds may blow outside, there's a calm and peace inside. Even though the rain perhaps deceits and falsehood or the scorching heat of ridicule may blaze outside. A home is a safe place where love can blossom, where relationships can grow and be renewed. A home is a place from whence its inhabitants can go out into the harsh elements of the world, warmed, fed, clothed well and prepared to face the withering blast. This past Monday, Christina and I had gone to bed, and after a while of sleeping, I woke to a very disturbing sound, the sound of raindrops. Now, normally I'm not disturbed by the sound of raindrops. I rather like hearing the raindrops on the roof and the raindrops on the window. It's kind of a calming, soothing sound, but I I was very disturbed by the sound of raindrops because these weren't just raindrops outside. These were raindrops falling down inside in the bedroom. Yeah, it was raining outside, but it was also raining inside. It was an invasion of the elements. The elements were invading our home. Of course, I speak a little bit foolishly. The rain was only coming in because there was a small leak in our in our roof. I'm not homeless because there's a leak in my roof. I, all I have to do is get up there and patch the roof and everything will be fine. But at the same time, it got me to thinking, you know, how often do we let things into our earthly homes that would be better kept outside? I don't mind the rain, but I do mind the rain when it comes in my house. You know, quite frankly, when I look into the world, the world that we live in today, I'm shocked by what I see. Wickedness, vice, Crimes of every description. 
we've come to a point in our society where we are numb to it all. You know, friends, we cannot change the wickedness of the world any more than we can make it stop raining outside. But there is one thing that we can do. We don't want to let that wickedness, that evil, creep inside our homes. We don't want to let that make captives of our children. The internet, television, movies, video games, books, magazines, newspapers. Yes, these all have their place. But do we keep them in their place? Parents, do you know what kind of things your kids are consuming at home? On the internet, at school, or with friends? Young people, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, I want to ask you, what are we taking into our minds? Do we read it, watch it, listen to it, believe it, just because someone shared it on Facebook? It's something I want to ask you. It's something we need to think about. I'm convicted myself that I have to be so careful, I have to be more careful than I am about what I take into my mind. All too often I say, oh, it won't affect me. It's just so easy to flip on the radio in the car or to click on one from one thing to the next on the internet. But all too often I find myself humming along even the raunchiest tunes or stumbling on a mime that's just all too hard to forget. And all the while my Bible so often is lying closed. I might say, I don't, I don't have time to read the Bible. Well, how did I find time to look at Facebook? <laughs> I want to ask you, why is Facebook so attractive? I'll, I'll admit, I'm, I'm halfway addicted to Facebook. <laughs> why is it so attractive to us to keep scrolling through those, those, those pictures and all of our friends and family members and kids and grandkids and moms and dads and grandpas and their best vacation and, and the, the gourmet meal and their anniversaries and their birthdays? Why is it so attractive is it perhaps we look into others' seemingly perfect lives and, and then we look at our own just ordinary, normal lives and, and it seems that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? Perhaps we think that by, by, by looking into their lives, maybe we can take in just a bit of their happiness and be a little bit happier. Well, I'm not all against Facebook, obviously, but, but I do ask the questions. Here's another question for you. If you could be anybody you wanted to be, if you could live anywhere in the whole world and you could afford it, we're not talking about how much money it costs, if you could live anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? Come on, talk to me. Where would you go? Hawaii? No. (laughs) South America? Go home. (laughs) There you go. You know, lots of people can dream about going to exotic places. But there's only a few people who could actually afford it. Really, the only people that I know that could afford it would be kings. There was an ancient king who pondered about that and who wrote about that. We find his deepest desire recorded in the book of Psalms, the Psalms of King David, Psalms 27, verses 4 and 5. Of all the places that he could go, of all the things that he could do, he says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. (laughs) And that wasn't an isolated statement. Rather, I would say that was the trend of all of his psalms. He seemed to gravitate toward this one thing, this one concept, this idea of dwelling, of living with God. In Psalms 26, in verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. How many of you don't know the 23rd Psalm? We all can quote it. In the last verse of that Psalm, Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And more than that, as if this is the crowning aspect of the beauteous life, he says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No longer will I be homeless. No longer will I wander from place to place. The psalmist says, But I will have a home. Not just any home, but a home in the house of the Lord. You see, although David was the king of Israel, he knew what it was like to be homeless. For years, he wandered about in the wilderness. He was a fugitive, hunted by King Saul. And through those bitter years of wandering, David learned the one person whom he could rely on. He learned what it means to dwell in the house of the Lord. (laughs) He wrote in Psalm chapter 91, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. What does it mean to dwell with someone? When Jesus first began His ministry, we were studying about the time of Jesus' ministry And the overlap there with John the Baptist. Turn with me to John chapter 1. And find a continuation of this concept. John chapter 1. In verse 36, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And these two disciples of John heard what Jesus had said, or what John had said. And they turned to Jesus. And in verse 38, they said to him, he, Jesus said to them, what do you seek? And then the disciples made this very, very pointed remark, very pointed question. Rabbi, that is to say teacher, where are you staying? And the King James says, where dwellest thou? And Jesus said, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. You see, these disciples of John realized something about Jesus. They realized that they, they wanted something from Jesus that they couldn't get in just a casual conversation. Unlike the Pharisees or the scribes who came to Jesus to ask him a question, these disciples came to Jesus and just said, Rabbi, we know that you can't answer our questions in one sitting. We don't just want to get some information from you. We want to know, where do you live? We want to come and live with you. 
As you know, over the past few weeks, we've been studying from the book of Revelation. I know I'm about out of time, so I'll have to go quickly. My very favorite part of the book of Revelation, and we don't even have time to go through it today, but I want to pick up one concept from the last two chapters. In the very end, Christ comes restores his redeemed to himself. And it says in Revelation 21, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, that is the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. God will dwell with them. And in verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And God says to him, I will be his God and he shall be my son. You see, God just doesn't want people for the sake of being redeemed to be in heaven. God wants you and me to live with him. He wants to live with us in one home. God will dwell with them. In Revelation 22 and verse 4, it says, They shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Jesus repeats over and over again, Behold, I am coming quickly. Revelation 22 and verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know, there's a verse in Revelation chapter 14. I know I'm diverging a little bit. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14 that we as Adventists seem to quote over and over and over again. Revelation 22 verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. You know, we lean heavily on this verse It's one of our key arguments against what we call antinomianism or the the idea that it doesn't matter what you do, you don't have to keep any commandments. You don't have to keep God's law. We use this verse to say, blessed are those who do God's commandments because by doing so you can earn your right to the tree of life. That's not what it says. That's what we say. I, I mistakenly say, right? <laughs> Blessed are those who work as hard as they can because by their works they will inherit. In- no. I don't think that's what it says. Does anyone have a translation of this in the New International or, or something besides the King James Version? Revelation twenty two fourteen. Read Read it. Read it for us. Now, where in that verse did it say commandments? That's very interesting. (laughs) And it actually comes from from, uh, the original Greek manuscripts of the the New Testament. The the words are very, very similar. The phrases are similar. And at some point, you know how how Mike was saying this morning, there's not very many differences between all the different manuscripts we found. Well, there are a few, and this is one of them. Blessed are they that do his commandments. And another, another manuscript says, Blessed are those who have washed their robes. Now, 
I'm not making a case for one reading or for another reading because if you go back to verse 7, you really find basically the same idea. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Keeping the words of the prophecy of this book, the Bible, keeping the words of the Bible, keeping the commandments. It's very much the same thing. And if you go to Revelation 7 verse 14, you find... Here are the ones who came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And you find that in every translation of the Bible, that same idea. So it's not so much a a discrepancy of doctrine. But I want to dig dig deeply into this verse and see if we can understand the concept, the tenor of what it says. So really, really there's there's kind of a unifying concept here. This verse is not at all talking about what you ought to do. It's really describing two different groups of people. Two different groups of people with two very different characteristics. If you look at verse 11, you understand that this is a time after the close of probation. It says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. Filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. Etc. This is after the close of probation. So it's not about, you better start keeping the commandments at this point. It's just describing two groups of people. Those who have right to the tree of life and those who are on the outside. Jesus describes this same time period in in Matthew chapter 24. He goes through several parables, a long discourse on the second coming. But his conclusion, he says, therefore, in verse 44, therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has made ruler over his household? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Blessed is he who, when his master comes, he will be found so doing. It sounds very much like Revelation twenty-two fourteen in the King James. Blessed are those who do. But do what? Blessed are those who do what? If you go to Matthew 24, blessed are those who are in a state of being ready, of being faithful. You see, it's not so much a matter of what you're doing as it is a matter of what you're being. Or shall I say, to tie this into the original concept here, of where you're dwelling Jesus told his disciples before he ascended to heaven, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The Apostle John beheld the final reward of the righteous. And he said, here in Matthew 20, uh, Revelation 21, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You see, everything that Jesus wants from you and from me, he doesn't want people who are checking off a list. He doesn't want people who are trying as hard as they can to be perfect. He wants people who will be able to dwell with him. (laughs) 
Turn with me back to John chapter 15. I know I've got a lot of verses today. John chapter 15. I think this will help to tie it together. John chapter 15 and verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. You see the connection here between keeping the commandments and abiding and living. Friends, I don't care where you live. I don't care what place you might call home on this earth, whether it might be a mansion or a shack. Brothers and sisters, we have a home. And friends, Jesus doesn't want to wait until we get to heaven to start living with us. He's gone to heaven, true, to make mansions for us. It's true, we don't have mansions today. At least I don't have a mansion. But today we can have a home. Remember the verse in Psalms, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Have you ever been out on a really dark night? Sometimes when I get home from work and all the lights are off, especially in the wintertime, it's dark outside, it's cold, and I open the car to get out of the car and the wind blows in my face, and I think I can hardly stand it. Except for one thing, I know that just a few steps away is the, ho- is the house, is the home. And knowing that the home is there, with all the love, with all the warmth, with all the joy that it brings, I can pass through the bitterest cold. The best part is, if Christina and I come home together, and we can run hand in hand from the, from the car, through the cold wind and into the house. Friends, what does it mean to dwell with Christ? We find a story that happened on the day of Christ's resurrection. On the eve of that Sunday, as the shadows gathered, two disciples trudged wearily back home to Emmaus. As the shadows were gathering, it seemed that all their hopes were crushed. Jesus, their Lord and Master, had been unjustly betrayed and cruelly murdered. Now it seemed even the grave was not enough for him, for his tomb had been desecrated, robbed, and they were left without hope, without an anchor, and without a home in this world. Then as they trudged along, a stranger appeared, walking with them, and they struck up a conversation. They poured out their broken hearts to this stranger, and he began quoting scripture after scripture, showing how the Christ must suffer just as this Jesus had. They didn't recognize who he was, but the words of scripture brought comfort to their hearts. And little by little, as they neared their earthly dwelling, they came step by step closer to coming home in their hearts. As they came to their house, the stranger acted as though he would go on. But but it was night, and they urged him to come inside. Come, abide with us, dwell with us, they said. Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And it says that he went in with them. In that simple invitation to an apparently homeless stranger, unknowingly, 
they invited Jesus Christ into their home. And as he blessed the bread for the evening meal, their eyes were opened. They realized who he was. They realized who they were with. And in that moment, in that moment of realization, their lives were changed forever. No longer was it they who had invited Jesus into their house, but Jesus Christ, God himself, had come to dwell with them. Jesus was alive. Jesus is still alive. Friends, Jesus gives us countless words of instruction, words of wisdom, comfort, and hope. But what he wants more than words is he wants you and me. He wants to live with us, simply to live together. That's what the message of the cross is all about. That's what the message of the second coming is all about. That's what this message of revelation is all about. That we will be forever together with the God of heaven, in our eternal home. But it doesn't have to wait until heaven. Jesus longs to dwell in our hearts right now, today, moment by moment. In closing, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, may live, may abide in your hearts. Friends, only a few more days we will be in this dark cold world, just close your eyes and let Jesus take your hand, and together, soon, we will reach our home. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord, we don't just want to have a few questions answered. We don't want to just satisfy our curiosity, Lord. We want to abide with you. Lord, we want to live with you in your house. And Lord, we pray that you will come and live here in our little abodes, here in this world. That our homes may be a little taste of heaven on earth until you come soon to take us home. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will protect and keep us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.